I mean, you can be seated. <clears throat> so good to see you here this morning. Just, just pray for the whole day, that the whole day is just wonderful. Fellowship, everything, altar time today, uh, all that's going to be done, that God will be glorified. Amen. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 24. It's a time where the Lord is testing David. I mean, you know the Lord tests us sometimes. And he was actually, uh, well, we'll read it. Let's, let's read it in 2 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to read portions of this chapter. We're going to start at the beginning, verse 1. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them, saying, Go number Israel and Judah. Actually, when you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 21, there's the same account is a, a different account of the same event. And it says, and it makes it more clear that Satan uh, moved David to do this. God allowed it. Okay? Just like in Job, we see that with, with the, the Satan coming before God. And, and God says, if you consider my servant Job, and the Lord allows Satan to, to, uh, to do what he did in Job's life, to, to be a test. God limited it. He was watching over it. Satan couldn't go any further than God wanted. So it says here that, and it's obviously obvious that the Holy Ghost understands it, and the, the writer of the Scriptures understands that God allows these things to happen. But it says the anger of the Lord, he was angry, was kindled against David. It had to do with his sin with Uriah and Bathsheba and so forth. And he moved David. But in First Chronicles, it says Satan moved and the Lord allowed. Okay, so just I think it's important that we understand that. But that what he was doing was was a test. He wanted he says, go number Israel and Judah for the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him. Go now throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan, even to Beersheba and number ye the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said unto the king. Now the Lord thy God add unto thy people how many soever they be, a hundredfold, and that the eyes of my Lord the King may see it. But why doth my Lord the King delight in this thing? Notwithstanding the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. Host And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. So the next verses talk about them going forth and how long it took them and so forth. Let's pick up, pick up in verse 8. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of the nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men which, that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Come choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days of pestilence in the land? Now advise and see what answer I shall, I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan, even to Beersheba, 70,000 men. We're going to stop right there. Uh, Maria was talking in Sunday school that uh, even people that are living for God, I know we're all sinners, but I'm talking about true believers walking with God and walking obediently to the Lord can suffer for other sins. 70,000 people died in, in Israel because of David's sin. He said, what was the big sin? The sin was he had never done that before. He had never trusted in the bigness numerically of his army. You know, he was a little fellow and went out and fought against Goliath and killed him, right? And uh, 
we saw this type of faith in David, and the Lord was pleased with that all through his life. Well, this is later in his life, and he's sitting on the throne. He's got peace pretty much around him right now, not fighting right now. And he just he's committed this sin with uh, Bathsheba and with Uriah, having uh, her husband killed. And now he's like, I'm going to go number the Israel, uh, the numbers, the armies of Israel, and see how big a fighting force I have. I'm, I'm really a pretty good commander over a pretty big sized force here. And even Joab, who I don't necessarily know that was a godly man, he had more wisdom and insight into this. His captain, his sergeant or leader of the military said, why does the king want this? The Lord multiplies your armies and, and makes them however many they be. He multiplies them and let them multiply them even more. You know, it was like David came to a, a point uh, he didn't stay this way, but he came to a point right here where he began to trust in his army. You know, he had had nothing but victories in his life as far as militarily. He had had victories and great success, and God had made him king. And he did love God. It wasn't that he didn't love God, but he was getting his eyes off the Lord. He was putting his eyes on himself and on the natural things. And hey, I've got uh, 800,000 in Israel, 500,000 in Judah. That's 1.3 million people. And Joab's like, you don't really need to know this. You know, it's kind of like if you're going, God called you onto the mission field or called you and you knew. He says, I want you to start building that house or start building that church building. I want you to start today. And you started checking your bank accounts and look at your tithe record. You say, there's no way we can do this. Uh, and it's like if the Lord was telling you to do that. OK, I'm not talking, I'm talking about being presumptuous then we should just set those things aside and say, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. It's like taking a step into the Jordan River while the river's still moving. But he said, as you put your foot down, I'm going to part the water. Okay? And as I, as I put it. And so, and as they put their feet down, he parted the waters. But what I want to talk about this today is that even in this sin, it was a sin. Okay? There's forgiveness. We're going to talk about that in restoration. That, that's always with the Lord. But David made a wise choice. It's pretty interesting that God gave him three choices for your punishment for your sin. Okay, he, he says, let us fall in verse 14. That's our key verse for the day. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great. David knew this about God. Do you know it about God? The word of God tells us that. But do you know it about the Lord? Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercies are great. Let me not fall into the hand of man. The, the, the choices he had were uh, seven years of famine, right? And, and that's miserable, and people would die in, you know, over a long extended period of time, or flee before your enemies who have no mercy. They want to kill him, the Philistines or whoever he was fighting for three months while they pursue you. And he had a lifetime of that fleeing from Saul, basically, and hiding out in caves. Or three days of pestilence that God would send on the land. And, and they, none of those are pleasant, okay? They're consequences for sin. They're punishments or judgments for sin. But David says, I'm going to fall into the hands of God. I'm just going to poop. I'm going to quit fighting. I'm going to fall into the hands of God here. And, and that is a, a wise choice. And this we're going to talk about today. Uh, to fall into the hands of the Lord, to surrender to His will. How many of you ever fought against the Lord before? You fought against the Lord. It was His will for you to do this. It was His will for you to surrender all to Christ and you didn't want to give this up. It's the last thing. You've got your fist clenched you know, around and don't want to let go. For me, it was friends. Okay, Last thing, you had to pry my hands off and turn it loose. But we find ourselves fighting against the Lord when, when we're not going to win that battle. I'm glad we're not going to win that battle. He doesn't want us to win that battle. He's going to get us there sooner or later. And I think sometimes it's up to us how long it takes to get there. But He's going to get us there. And the sooner you and I will learn, I'm not talking about being passive and just going through life like a, a, a wet noodle. Okay, I'm talking about going through life when God is dealing with your life. There's no sense, and you know it's the Lord. He either tells us from His Word, or by His Spirit, or both, or through a, a Christian friend or something. He's telling us the truth. We need to surrender to God. And the more you and I will learn to do that, the more quickly we'll learn to do that, the better it's going to go for us. 
the more pleasing it'll be to God. He can get on with business, so to speak, and do what he wants to do in our lives. The next thing, to fall into the hands of the Lord, to surrender to his will in all things. And listen, and then we're going to use David for an example. Even when we've sinned, even when we've sinned, to fall into his hands. Even when God is bringing his discipline or his correction upon our lives. I think we can shorten the duration of that by acknowledging our sin, by confessing it to God, by saying, Lord, I'm not going to keep bullheadedly, you know, going in this direction. You've showed me that it's wrong and and I'm going to take what you have for my life in that area. I know you're merciful. I know you forgive my sins. I'm going to heaven. I'm your child uh, if you're saved. But I want to just take what you have for me and I want to go on. I don't want to fight even the correction of God. Even the discipline of the Lord. Because y'all, even in the midst of His righteous judgment, and His judgment is always righteous, upon our lives we're going to find mercy. We're going to find it. You're going to find mercy there. You're not going to find it in the hands of your enemies. You're going to find it with God. I want to read this scripture, and I'll just give to you where I'm giving it. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. Simple truth, right? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. To me, that's fallen into God's hands. Even though he's wicked or even though he's a Christian, maybe that's living in an unrighteous matter or committed some sin, let us return unto the Lord. Why? He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon now, you can just highlight that in your Bible. You can write that down and put it on your refrigerator. And it's almost a motto to live by. I've said, how many times do we sin against God? I'm talking to the church, to believers. And yet, He wants us to return to Him. Return to Him. Return to Him. He's going he's gonna to pardon. We're going to find mercy there. And He is still going to deal with His people in love and in kindness uh, because we're His own children. And that's how he deals with us. He deals with us better than we deal with our own children because he's a perfect father. But David knew this about the Lord. He learned this by knowing God and walking with the Lord. It was a relationship. He knew what his father was like. And he had experienced that. He had a lifetime of experience of walking with the Lord. And uh, God shows great restraint. How many of you know that when he, even in his punishment or his chastisement for his children, he shows great restraint. It's not that he doesn't punish, but he doesn't just uh, it, it's like it's measured out. It, it, it fits what what he says it should fit. Even our punishment, which is unpleasant, and we don't like it, is measured out in his own love in his care and his thoughtfulness and so forth. Uh, his correction is measured out for his children and he's mindful of his purpose in it. He's got a purpose in chastising his children. He has a purpose in punishing or rebuking or correcting or allowing you and me to go through something that's unpleasant as believers. Say, why would God let me go through this? If I've done something wrong and sinned against God and I deserve or have incurred the, the chastisement of the Lord upon my life, he's got a plan in mind for that chastisement. He wants to, it's measured out. And so you say, this is what it would take in Randy's life, you know, so he doesn't do that again, okay? Or so he learns this or gets on the right track. He's, he's angry, the Bible says, at the wicked every day. But he, but he never loses it. Have you ever lost it? You know what I'm talking about? Lost it? Whether with your children or with somebody else where you lost it. You know, I'm talking about lost control. In, in your anger, in the, in the spur of the moment, maybe things built up for a long time and you really lost it. I've done it before. It's not attractive, is it? It's not pleasant. You like to think you're in control. And um, God never does that. He never does that. I can tell you that Angola is full of people who lost it in a moment. Okay? Um, but God never loses it. He disciplines, He judges, He corrects. He, he's, he has a purpose in mind in it. It's for our benefit. And, but he never loses it. He never goes, he just, he just goes stark raving mad. Even when he pours out his wrath <coughs> upon sinners, upon his enemy. Okay? 
He's going, to, he's going to have that measured out. There's a fullness of His wrath that's going to come on the fullness of this sin. We read about it in Revelation and other places, but the Bible says that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. He's writing to the church here. Blood-bought saints of God. For God had not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. So in His correction for us, it's not the same as the lost, where He's just going to, there's going to be a wrath that's, that's for the lost people. But as believers, we're not appointed to that. Does that mean we're never corrected or, or, or punished or He doesn't spank us? Absolutely He does, because you know He does. And the Word of God says it. But it's still measured out. And His correction is, is for the purpose of what is going to work best um, to work the, the nature of Christ in our lives. What is going to work best to, to make me more like Jesus? What is going to work best to restore me to right fellowship with God? Um, or to, to grow in the faith? Or, or It's always measured out. And it's, it's for, the, for the redeemed of the Lord, it's never harsh. It can be hard, but never harsh. You ever been harsh with your children? Where you say this was strict, but it was beyond strict. It was, it was cruel. Okay, it was mean. What I said was mean. What how I acted. Again, it, I've done it before. It's a sin. God never does that. He might correct and discipline as hard as, you know, as, as He needs to. But it's never uh, harsh. And David knew this about the Lord. Don't be afraid to fall into His hands when we've sinned, when we've disobeyed, when we look up and we find ourselves a long way away. And it looks like such a long way back, but it's not a long way back. That's when He gets the Lord gets. When you find yourself because of sin or compromise or, or uh, complacency, and, and talking to Christians, you find yourself way away from the Lord and have drifted from God. The devil wants you to think that is such a long way back where you used to be or where the Word of God says you need to be, it's almost not worth trying. You're closer here than to there. Maybe you should just stay over here. Those are lies of the devil. And it's not far back. He reached down, David said, lifting me up out of a horrible pit of the miry clay, setting my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He's done that more than once in my life, okay? But I know that's that salvation. But it's not far back. It's as quick as if we confess with our mouth Confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Might there be consequences for our sin? Yes. But the restoration is there. It's complete. It's already finished. There's not a long way back. It's me hitting my knees and calling upon Jesus and the blood of Jesus that washes me clean. And so it's not a long distance back. I just want to read this real quickly uh, from Psalms 30, verses 4 and 5. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness, for His anger endureth but for a moment. So He does have anger. The Bible says we can be angry and sin not as believers. He's angry at sin. He's angry at the wicked every day. Always. That's His attitude towards sin and rebellious people. Though He loves sin, sinners. Okay? It says, His anger is but for a moment. In His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's a quick fix with the Lord. What looks a lifetime of sin and falling in sin, or it might be a lifetime of backsliding after I was saved, can be made up in a moment. It's a quick way back. And because Jesus is that way and He makes it a quick word. Believers can make a, a mistake when we've sinned. And maybe you've done this before or I've done this. When we've sinned. I'm talking to Christians when we sin. Okay? And we don't have to sin, but we do sin. All right? And we can compound the mistake of disobedience in the first place, whatever the sin is. I'm a Christian and I did such and such. I'm a Christian and I watched such and such. I'm a Christian and I said such and such. Or I've gotten in a pattern of doing this. The sin is bad enough and, and, and needs to be dealt with. But we can compound that even more by heeding the devil's voice or our own human reasoning that wants to try to get us away from God even more. In other words, you've sinned against God. You need to... He's really going to get you. You better go run and hide somewhere. You know what I mean? We're compounding that sin even more instead of heeding the truth of, of God's Word. And we think wrongly of our God when we do that. It's like we're deluded. 
into thinking I've sinned against God, therefore He's really mad at me, therefore I don't want what's going to come to me from the Lord now because He's angry at me, He's really going to punish me, so I want to get away. That's foolish. What would you tell somebody? You'd say that's foolish. God says He's merciful. Come to Him for forgiveness. People, when we do that, we can compound. Not saying you do it all the time. I pray you've learned not to do this. But when we've sinned as believers, sometimes we can compound the error and make it far worse than it ever had to be by prolonging our return to the Lord or trying to get away from God, get away from church, get away from the Bible, get away from my Christian friends, get away from prayer, instead of immediately coming to Him for pardon and for cleansing. I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid what He's going to do to me. I need to avoid Him. Uh, and yes, there is a healthy fear of God. But that's, not, that's not a healthy fear of God that's going to take someone away. That's a lie. Or listening to a lie that's not true. We want to escape or avoid God's chastisement in our lives. But really it's graciousness and mercy that we're going to find. We're going to find God being kind because that's how He is. Uh, or maybe when we've sinned against the Lord, uh, we want to ignore it and pretend, just kind of cover it up and pretend like it's not there. And, and excuse it maybe. It's just like Adam and Eve did with the fig leaves in the garden. I want you to turn turn to the in your Bibles to Genesis. I just wanted to look at this real quickly. Genesis chapter three, verses seven and eight. This is after Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord, right? First sin. Our, our earthly parents had sinned and introduced sin into the human race, and it was passed down through all. And the consequences of that came upon all because of their sin. But they're representative of us. We would have done the same thing. I think that we understand that. We would not have been better than Adam and Eve. Okay? It may have, done, may have, sinned, may have sinned a day sooner or a day later. But we would have done it. Okay? Verse 7 says, And the eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made them aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Can you think of anything more, not just tragic than the sin that they committed, but now God's coming to them again in the cool of the day. And they hear the voice of the Lord walking in the, cool, in the garden. Can you think of anything more foolish now that we are so wise in the Lord and know the Scriptures than for them to try to sew fig leaves together, cover their nakedness, and then where can we get to get somewhere? There's a big tree over here. There's some rocks. Let's get behind this and hide from God. Now what are you going to do? All right, let's say you did hide from God. You can't, but what, what are they going to do now? You know what I mean? It's a hopeless thing. And, uh, but that can be our, our tendency that when we've sinned for the Lord, instead of coming immediately back to the Lord for forgiveness. If I did it a hundred times a day, you know what? I need to ask God instantly a hundred times a day. Forgive me for worrying. I just ask you to take the fear and the worry away and set my mind upon you and then I start worrying again. If we have to do it a hundred times a day, do it a hundred times a day. But don't let time pass. Because our mind's going to be diluted, so to speak. We're going to start thinking wrongly of God. That if I go back to Him now after this much time, He's really going to let me have it. And so forth. And so, um, it's, it's not wise. It's foolish. And I'll tell you, besides it being foolish, it's also an insult to the, the character of God. His holy character and nature. Because that's not thinking rightly of the Lord. Is He holy? Yes. Is He righteous? Yes. Is there judgment for sin? Yes. Is He merciful, kind, loving, forgiving? Yes. And I want to fall into the hands of God. I want to get there as quickly as I can. Okay? I don't want to fall somewhere else. And I was thinking about this. When we were lost and didn't know the Lord, and we turned to Him in simple childlike faith, did He not forgive us of every sin we ever committed? And make us as gladly accepted. You're my daughter now. You're my son now. You're one of mine. And send His Spirit to live inside of us. Didn't He instantly do that without bickering or, or any deals that we made between each other or promises that we would never do it again or anything like that? Didn't He instantly do what He said He would do? 
for the sinner that turns to him sincerely? Will he not, now that I'm saved, do the same when I sin against him? It's foolish to think otherwise. And I want to just speak to our parents for just a moment for an example. Everybody that, that is parents or you, you know, or you were a child once and had parents. Okay, that covers everybody. Um, <laughs> when if you gave, laid down the law for your children, curfews at this time, they're just starting to drive, be in by this time, you know, this, that, and here's three rules they got to keep. Don't, don't drive further than this and be, you know, only go here where you told me you're going to go. And they come home and they just blew it. They, they, they disobeyed all three things that they were told. Two hours after the curfew, they went and picked up some friends that the parents didn't like and didn't want them to fool with and all kinds of stuff they shouldn't have done. They came back home now. Do you think uh, that, the, that the parents would uh, be pleased if now the child would run away from home because they're afraid to face the consequences? I mean, it would be foolish. You love them. That's why you gave them the rules in the first place. For their protection. Or for their testimony for Christ. Or both. And now they've disobeyed them. You know they've disobeyed them. So now I'll just, I'm putting myself in the position of God. I just want them to run away now and not fool with them anymore. That would be foolish. You want them to come to you. Take it like a man, so to speak. Here's the punishment. I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to cripple you and put you in the hospital. Okay? There's consequences for what you did. Taking the keys from you for X amount of time. Whatever. But the, the parents definitely would want their children to come home. Face up to it. Let's talk about it. I forgive you, son. I'm not angry. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to hold it over your head and remind you every five minutes about it. I've forgiven you. But because you did this, you're not going to be able to drive for the next... Two weeks, whatever. You know what I mean? Or something like that. There'll be something disciplined to where they'll remember that. Okay? I've shared this before. I remember when I was little, uh, probably elementary school, and going tubing in the, the Tickfar, Tangipahoa River was a, a, I don't remember which one we went to, Tickfar, I think, was a big deal. Like that was something, a highlight of the summer, something we would do. And uh, <coughs> we were friends, I was friends with all the neighborhood kids. We'd all play football together and, and uh, do all our stuff together and then all these families were going with their kids and we're going to take their kids to and we were all looking forward to it. Well, I had done something really bad and uh, done something to my brother and hurt him and I was grounded from that. And I remember sitting at the window watching them drive off. They're going tubing and I'm sitting there watching them thinking about all the fun they're going to have. This whole thing I've been looking for. Can you tell you, I still remember it today. It wasn't cruel and unusual. It was probably just, okay? And I deserved it. I remembered it. I didn't do that thing again, whatever I had, I had done. But, uh, but we were tempted to want to run away or something, really from, from the Lord, when it would be much better uh, just to come and, and receive that forgiveness just right away. And I'll just say this to parents, you know, if your children disobey you and come to you, you need to forgive them right away. We don't carry it over like we just stay angry for the next four days, just mad at them for four days. Forgive them. And if, there's, if, if God shows you some discipline to give them, then, then give the discipline. But you don't, you don't have to do that in anger. You can give the discipline because it's the right thing and, and it fits what's, what needs to be done. But let them know they're forgiven. You know what I mean? And we're right with each other. And I love you as much as I ever did kind of thing. And uh, so the Lord's going to do that, y'all. And He's going to forgive us quickly. You, do we think He's going to now, as that we're Christians, going to refuse? He's going to now refuse to forgive us. He's not. He, and the Bible says if, if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. How much more being reconciled shall we be saved by His life? And he's talking to believers. Just He reconciled us as enemies and now we're His children. I mean, how much kinder, I guess you would say, is He going to be to us? And we've got to run to God. He's our refuge for sin. And He's the only refuge for sin. Jesus Christ. And so, to whom shall we go? That's what Peter said when the other disciples left. Where are we going to go? And, and the, the, the Pharisee said to Jesus when he said to the layman, Son, your sins are forgiven you. 
before he told him to rise, pick up his bed and walk, he said, your sins are forgiven you. And they were all indignant. They didn't even say it out loud. They just thought it in their hearts. Who can forgive sins but God? Who does this man Jesus think he is? And, and the, who can forgive sins but God? We need to go to God. Okay? We need to go to the Lord. They were right on that. Who can for sin, forgive sins but God? Christ is the perfect refuge for sinners. He's the only refuge for sinners. He's our high priest. He's our brother. He's our shelter from sin. Like we sing about, he's our advocate. The Bible says, uh, little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And I always say that the first part of that is the commandment to you and me. Little children, believers, these things I write unto you that you sin not. So what am I supposed to do? My marching orders, so to speak, sin not. But He knows that we do and we will because we don't always perfectly obey the Lord. We could, we should, not excusing it. Sin not. But if we do, if any man sin, we, He includes Himself in that, John does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And that paraclete, that word advocate is helper. Okay? He's a helper. And I can tell you this, that every other influence in your life that's out there and anywhere is going to try to lead you away from, from God when we've sinned against God. There's nothing else that's going to urge you to go to the Lord for forgiveness but the truth. The truth will. The Holy Ghost will. The Spirit of truth. The Word of God. Other believers who are speaking on God's behalf will lead you back to Him. But every influence like your lost friends or your, your own uh, human carnal <coughs> reasoning or any other religion or philosophical view of life, nobody's going to lead you to the Lord. Okay, but, but the Lord's going to lead you to the Lord. So when we've sinned against Him, you have to just go to the truth and go to the Word of God. Everything else is going to try to steer us away and the Lord's saying, come unto me. You sinned against me, now return to me. You sinned against me, you broke my law, you disobeyed me and my righteous, just commandments and instructions. You disobeyed me willfully, disobediently, in rebellion, uh, carelessly, however. You disobeyed me, now come to me. And that's where you're going to be forgiven. Okay? And I want to read a couple of scriptures here. Malachi 3, 7. Even from the days of our fathers, you are going away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you say, wherein shall we return? The people had sinned and stayed sinning for a long time. Generations of sin and rebellion against the Lord. And he's saying, come to me. Even now, come unto me. I'm still your God. I'm still the Lord. And you say, where shall we return? It's almost like, how do we get back? Why should we get back? Or, or, you know, it's like, where, why should we go back? And the Lord's saying, come unto me. Isaiah 30, 15. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, and ye would not. The problem is not with the Lord when we sin. The problem is with us when we sin. The forgiveness is there. The mercy is there. With the Lord and in nowhere else. The restoration. It's all with the Lord. He says, you would not. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, right? Because He says, how often I would have gathered you together like a, a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you would not. Your house is left to you desolate. What could they have done? They could have come to the Lord and been forgiven. He knew they weren't at that time. But we, we see this, yes. And I'm going I'm to start bringing this kind of transition a little bit. There are, without doubt, consequences for our sins. Okay? There are consequences for our sins. Like I gave the illustration of me getting grounded from going to bed. Well, we have that in our lives as believers. I don't care what age you are or how long you've been saved. There are consequences. It's up to the Lord to determine what those are. But it's not, again, like He's lost control and just going to crush us. His ultimate goal, we have to keep this in mind, is to restore us. Is to bring us back to, to that right relationship. And guess what? His chastisement is perfect. It's never 
never as much as we deserve. Do you know that? Before we got saved and since we were saved, God's punishment for our sin against our lives is always less than we've deserved. There's just no doubt about it. It's, it's always exactly what it should be. It's no more or no less than what our Heavenly Father deems necessary to teach us or to complete the work that's in us. It's fitting. It's fitting in His eyes. His punishment for His children is limited by His own love and mercy and wisdom and holy nature. We have to keep those things in mind. If you are turned over to the hand of an enemy, you're just going to experience the worst of the worst. But God's, you're not being turned over to the hand of an enemy. We're, we're, we're surrendering to Him when we've sinned against Him. I want to read this from Hebrews chapter 12. Starting in verse 7, I'm going to skip around a little bit. If you endure chastening, that's punishment or disciplining, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he of whom the father chasteneth not? Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, the Lord, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. You see that he has a purpose in it all? I've sinned against the Lord. Or maybe I've gotten careless or lax or I'm, I'm getting my eyes off the Lord. And he chastens me in some way. He disciplines me. You got a football team, and they have they're undefeated. They've gone now. They got two games left in the season. But the coaches notice they've started getting really lax in their fundamentals. A lot of offsides penalties. They overcome it because they're so talented. A lot of offsides penalties. Uh, a lot of receivers running the wrong routes. But they're okay because they're so much more talented. They still end up winning. But the coach sees they got a problem here, and he gets them back to like what you did in the first. Two weeks of football. This is how you tackle. This is how you block. This is a three-point stance. Here's how you don't jump off sides. Listen to the snap count, because if you do, jump off sides or run it. Okay? And so he's not doing it out of cruelty. He's doing it to make them better. And, and he might have all kinds of different motives. But the Lord's always going to do it that we might be partakers of His holiness. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. You know what he's saying? Buck up, straighten up, taking it. Rejoice, lift your hands to God. Well, I've sinned and I'm this, and I'm afraid of the punishment, and I'm being disciplined by God. Worship Him. Lift up your hands. Magnify the Lord. He loves you. He's bringing you through. If you're going through chastisement, guess what? It's a sure sign you belong to Him. You're not an illegitimate child. You belong to Him. I don't punish everybody else's kids. I punish my kids. All right? And so it's a sure sign that we belong to the Lord. Because of Jesus Christ's uh, finished work. Now this is important. <clears throat> on the cross. It was totally finished. Not being added to by religious works or religious people. His finished work on the cross dealing with the sins of man. There are no eternal consequences for sins for those that are under the blood of Jesus. Okay? There's no... Any sin that you've asked the Lord to forgive you of. You lived all your life and now you're 75 years old and you give your life to Jesus. You can't even remember all the sins you committed when you're 75 years old. You know? And you say, wash me in your blood and cleanse me of my sin. It's all washed away. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. Alright, now I'm a Christian. The very next day I cursed. Instead of a curse word, it's a sin. I say, God, forgive me. I mean it. I turn from that. He forgives me. It's under the blood. None of those will be carried over. You understand the point? So when I'm saying there's eternal, there's, there are consequences for sin, there's no eternal consequences for sins that are under the blood of Jesus. None. You know, uh, somebody did something really horrible and broke up their family and home and lived an immoral life. And, and as a believer... And has been asked God to forgive them, and they're forgiven. That's not going to be carried over into heaven. Okay? It won't even be at the judgment seat of Christ. If it's under the blood of Jesus, it's under the blood of Jesus. Now, now I thank God for that. Amen? Because uh, the Bible says He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
He doesn't take it and keep it in a big ball. And when he gets mad at you and we fail him again, throws it back in our face and say, look at all these horrible things. Remember you just did? And I've got to keep on forgiving you. He doesn't do that. And none of it carries over into heaven if it's under the blood of Jesus. But there are certainly can be and are, as the Lord sees fit, temporal consequences for our sins. You know what I mean by that? In this life, there can be consequences for our sin. We're going to uh, close with this thought. Um, because the Bible says He's taken away our sins. He's borne our grief. He bore our iniquities in Isaiah 53. Uh, all of the iniquity of the world was laid upon Jesus at the cross. And so we come to Him. Everything that's forgiven is forgiven. Don't think wrongly about God or about sin. It's serious. It's an offense to God. It offends God. It, it brings uh, hurt to our own souls. It, it brings hurt and terrible shame to our testimony for Christ. It can bring consequences into our lives that we don't like. I always use the example, if I, I'm a Christian, I go nuts one day because I'm worried about money and I get my pistol from home and I go hold up the Circle K and get all the money out of the register, okay? And I said, what was I thinking? Here come the cops. And I'm like, before they get there, I'm saying, God, forgive me. What was I thinking? Here, take your money back. What was I thinking? He, the Lord forgives me. Uh, but there could be consequences. I'd be going to jail, okay, for a while. And that's over, over uh, man's laws, okay? But the same in God's laws where there are consequences as God sees fit. It's never as much as what we really deserve, is it? You think about the time since you've been born again that you've sinned against the Lord. And how quickly when we go to Him, He forgives us and there are consequences, but it doesn't just make our life miserable. You're going to be a slave like the Israelites were in Egypt for the next 10 years of your life. He doesn't do that to us. Um, he, he chastises us for our own pleasure. So I want to look at this. Last passage we're going to. 2 Samuel, if you're still there, we're going to look at um, chapter 12. This is when he did sin with uh, Bathsheba and then had her husband killed, who was a righteous man, uh, to cover up his sin and immorality. 2 Samuel chapter 12. We know when Nathan was the prophet at this time that the Lord sent. A lot, most Bible scholars says it was about a year. They believe it was about a year from the time he committed those sins to the time that, uh, that this encounter that we're going to read is taking place. So let's read 2 Samuel 12 verse 7. And Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. We know the story about the sheep, right? He's, he's using the illustration to point out uh, the grossness of David's sin. And says, You're the man who did this. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little... I would moreover have given unto thee such as, and such things. Wherefore hast thou, listen, despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Okay, so he's pointing out his sin. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword, listen, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Verse 12, For thou did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. Now, when he brought this, when he brought this accusation from the Lord, when Nathan brought that to David, David's response was, I have sinned. He was agreeing with God. He was confessing with God. And before he could basically finish that sentence, Nathan said, your sin's put away. The Lord's put your sin away. And we're closing with this thought. Sin is spiritual. Okay? It is a spiritual thing. Sin is not just the act of doing something. Sin is that we have transgressed God's law or broken the Lord's law, even as a believer. 
And so the sin was put away. David, in his relationship with God, was 1,000% restored. There was no hindrance between him and God as far as their intimacy, as far as him being a man of faith, an Old Testament <coughs> saint that one day is going to go to heaven. Uh, God made his covenant with David. He kept his covenant with David. The sin part was forgiven. And David knew that. As far as He's the one that wrote, as far as the east is from the west, so far hence he removed my transgression from me. But, were there consequences in David's life, like as long as he lived on planet earth, till God called him home as an old man, were there consequences in his life that were unpleasant because of his sin that he committed? Specifically that sin. Yes, there were. We know that the story, the son that he conceived with Bathsheba died. Um, he had sickness. All his friends left him for a long period of time. His tears were his meat day and night. We read about it in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, some of these psalms, uh, that when he prayed, it was like he couldn't get through to God. This is before Nathan came to him. Um, Absalom, his own, he had one son that raped one of his daughters from different married, different wives. Uh, he had a son, Absalom, that usurped his authority and literally took the throne. God gave it back to David because that was the plan. But you understand there were consequences because of his sin. And he, but yet he was totally forgiven. Him and the Lord were right. There wasn't some sin that was going to take him to hell because it was unrepented of. Or he didn't believe in God or something like that. Do you all understand the point of that? I think you do. And, and uh, he's, he's always going to be merciful. God kept his covenant with David, even after this. That he would have someone sit on, on the throne. And that uh, he would have an everlasting kingdom in Jerusalem. Well, that came through Jesus Christ. Who's going to literally come back at the second coming of the Lord. In Jerusalem, there's going to be a temple rebuilt. And he's, there's going to be a millennial temple. And Jesus Christ is going to reign and rule as a son of David. He's a son of God, but he's a son of David. It's an amazing thing. God kept his covenant. The, the spiritual things, uh, the eternal things survived the sin because he repented and was confessed. He went through temporal uh, consequences and chastisement for his sin. And, and the same for us. It's no different from us. And it's never, never as much as we demand. I mean, what, what our sin really should deserve. And I would just say, what a friend of sinners and what a Savior. And I'm closing. If, you're, if you would come on, we have. I would encourage you this morning. Maybe this is where you are right now. Maybe you say it's a good message, but it doesn't really speak to my heart that much. It will at some point in your life. Um, fall into the hands of the Lord. Don't dilly-dally and delay when you've sinned against God coming back to God. The quicker you and I get that right with the Lord, the quicker we can go on with the Lord. If He's chastising me, and maybe it's not even because of a particular sin, maybe it's just He's testing me like He did Daniel in Babylon. Okay? Or He did Job. It wasn't because of a specific sin in Job's life that He was so severely tested. But if He's chastising your life, receive it. Go to Him. Fall into His hand, even in the chastisement. I know you're going to deal with me kindly. I know you're going to deal with me graciously. I know you're going to strengthen me so I don't, I'm not crushed by this. Seems like it's going to crush me. But I know you're not, your goal is not to crush me. I'm your child. You're going to hold me up. You're going to strengthen me. Lord, let me find your strength. Let me find your strength in a new way that I haven't ever before. Because this is a greater trial maybe than I've ever been before. This is a greater sin that I've committed since I've been saved than ever before. Forgive me. But this is a longer period of time that I've been uh, careless in my faith and lax in my seeking after you. And I'm coming back. He's going to restore. Fall into the hands of the Lord. If you've never read the book of Ezra, you ought to read it and study it. I'm closing with a scripture from Ezra. What a godly man. And, and I just appreciate it. It says, and he's praying after the 70 year, 70 year captivity of Israel. God had foretold it. You know, keep sending, I'm going to send you into captivity. Keep doing it, I'm going to send you into captivity for all these Sabbath days that you didn't keep, 10, year, you know, 10 years for each Sabbath, and so forth. And, and uh, he sends them in because they just totally disregard God. 
They don't think he's going to judge them. They're worshiping Baal and everything else. Who sees? God doesn't see what we're doing. And God loved them and he sent the prophets to, to for, and, and finally they're going to captivity. After 70 years, he told them before, after 70 years, I'll bring you back. A lot of those people died, a lot lived and had families and came back. And here's Ezra, who's a godly man through it all. The temple's been rebuilt. The city's been rebuilt. The Jerusalem, the wall's been rebuilt. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds, Ezra was a priest. He knew the constant, what they had gone through was for their own sin. God wasn't being unfair. And all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve. <coughs> And has given us such deliverance. After the end of it, he brought them out mightily. They had a letter from the king. Go build the temple. Anybody tries to stop you, and I'm going to let them have it. The, king, the king's like giving them favor to go back. He brought them clean out of another country. You don't see that. Where do you see a whole country come out of captivity from another country? The whole nation. You don't. Other than God's people. He's given us such great deliverance as this. O Lord God of Israel, Thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. We are before Thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before Thee because of this. But I was just loving the way he says, You've delivered us, and You've punished us far less than we deserved. Ezra wasn't running from God. He wasn't trying to hide out. You know what he was doing? He's doing what David told Gad. Let's fall into the hands of God. Let's fall into the hands of God. And so, can you just stand with me and worship? Maybe you want to kneel at your, your chair and pray. And let's us fall into the hands of God, whether it's His discipline in our lives, day by day. If it's a trial you're going through now from the Lord. If it's uh, chastisement because He's you've sinned and there's a consequence from it, fall into the hands of the Lord. Where else would you go? Where else are you going to find mercy? Where else are you going to find forgiveness? He punishes us less than we deserve, and He does it for a purpose, a wonderful purpose, that we'll be partakers of His holiness. And He loves us. So, Father, we just come before You.